Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Okay, Book of Revelation. Chapter 12, um, here's a few questions for us to think about as we uh, are about to dive into that um, chapter. What influenced Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine? What influences another mass shooting in the USA this week? I think six people died in that shooting. What influences you or me to make that angry response to somebody? We're all guilty of that from time to time. What influences you to be dishonest at work or at school or anywhere for that matter? What influences others to make fun of your faith in Jesus? Or where does this fear come from to talk to others about Christ and the good news of the gospel? What what are these influences that actually work in our lives what's the underlying cause there that comes to that we're going to see that today particularly in chapter 12 as we think about this whole context that's happening in revelation so please go to chapter 12 and we're going to start at verse 1 and a great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his heads, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to earth, to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. 
The serpent poured out like a river out of his mouth, poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river and that dragon and the, that the dragon poured out from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Father, thank you. Thank you for Revelation chapter 12. Lord, a mysterious book, but Lord, a book that just pulsates the gospel. A book that is saturated with the conquering power of Jesus Christ. We ask Holy Spirit today as we come and think through the defeat of the dragon, the defeat of Satan. Please open up our hearts and our minds now to see that, to embrace that by faith and to live in that victory that you've given to us. We ask that now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, Revelation 12 is a crucial chapter in the book of Revelation. Revelation 12 actually gives this book a lot of its context when you actually read what's happening here in this particular chapter. If you ask somebody to read Revelation, the book of Revelation, as a standalone work, I'm sure they'd come back to chapter 12 and say, ah, now I know the reason for all the trouble. It's actually in this chapter here, chapter 12. John writes again to a people suffering uh, under persecution, to a people being um, harassed for simply following Jesus as their Lord and their King. And what we see here in this chapter is the underlying cause for all that suffering and pain that they're going through and the same for us. There's a being called Satan who is the underlying cause of all the evil suffering we see take place in this world and in our lives as well. There's a supernatural being that we can't see with our natural eyes that is filled with rage towards us, towards the whole world actually towards God and that's not a movie of make-believe that is true we think well I can't see this being well he is filled with rage towards us and he's supernatural at the same time there's an earthly battle that uh, is raging around us but it's in the unseen realm the unseen realm all we get to see is perhaps the outworking from time to time of people's evil actions when they make choices to hurt or inflict pain upon others. We actually see that evilness begin to break out through to the surface. Here's our big idea for today, and it's this. Uh, Satan is at war with the people of God, but he has been conquered and defeated by Jesus' death and by the unfailing trust that we place in Christ. Defeated, conquered. Now, Let's step through this chapter to sort of get a gist of what's happening here. Verses 1 and 2, we won't put these up on the screen here, but verses 1 and 2 there, we see there's a woman about to give birth. We see that there sort of graphically displayed for us. Uh, The woman isn't Mary. You might think, well, that must be Mary, the mother of Jesus. Well, it's not actually Mary. The woman that John is talking about there is the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is is the nation that will give birth to the Messiah, where you see the, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, and the twelve, so that's talking about old traditional um, Old Testament imagery there. So it's the nation of Israel bringing forth the Messiah. In verse 3, we see a great red dragon. This dragon, as it were, stands before the woman, and she's about to give birth to devour the child. 
the dragon wants to destroy this child here. Verse 5, we see the woman gives birth to a male child and we're told there this child who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's a real definite hint and clue that we're talking about the Messiah. We're talking about Jesus Christ. He's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. God saves this child and brings him immediately to the throne room. It's, it's a bit like from the birth of Christ to the resurrection. Verses 7 and 12, we see this cosmic battle now take place. And we discover here that the dragon is actually Satan, the serpent of old, the deceiver. Satan is defeated and is thrown down to the earth and he's fiercely angry about losing this battle. Fiercely angry about losing this battle. And then verses 13 to 17, the dragon now does battle against the seed of the woman, the woman being the nation of Israel originally, but now the people of Israel are the people of God. For those who are in Christ, we also are the people of God. So the serpent comes down now to do battle with the seed of the woman, which is to do battle with the church, every single believer and follower of Jesus Christ. He'll do all he can to destroy the church by engaging in warfare with her. Okay, that's a quick synopsis as we go through uh, chapter 12 there of Revelation. Now let's dig in a little bit deeper as we sort of come to various parts of that. First thing we've got to understand is if you're a believer in Jesus, you're in a battle. You are in a battle. You're in a battle against Satan. He's been thrown down in a rage, in a rage against God and all who love and follow God as their Lord and their Master. Have a look in verse 12. It says this, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. So not just a little bit of anger. He's filthy. Is filthy a good word or a bad word? I'm not sure on this common day language. He's filthy angry, right? Let's get it right there. He's filthy angry. He knows his time is short. And if you flick through to verse 7, you'll see there too, he engages in warfare with the church. So what does this short time mean? Does that just mean to some little squeeze period at the end? Is that, when, is that when Satan's going to do that? Some might say that. Some might say, well, isn't that that seven years just before Jesus returns? We talk about the Great Tribulation or the seven-year tribulation period. We're living in the tribulation right now. Uh, when John wrote this book, he wrote to those in uh, Revelation 1.9, he said, to those who are in the tribulation. So they were experiencing the tribulation back then. So we're in the tribulation now. But in having said that, I certainly believe that this tribulation distress that we're in now will increase with much intensity as we do get closer to the second coming or the return of Jesus Christ. But we need to be clear, we're in the tribulation now. That is the whole period from when Jesus left the earth until Jesus comes again. There will be a greater intensity as we get closer to those last days. Uh, And again, knowing that the last day started with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in this whole time, between Jesus' resurrection and his second coming, Satan wages war against the followers of Jesus. That's his his modus uh, operandi. And this is precisely what John's hearers are experiencing here in Asia Minor. What they're finding is that the Christian experience isn't a cakewalk. It's not a red carpet ride. You don't just sort of get welcomed with open arms by all the locals. 
They're experiencing much challenge and much difficulty here throughout Asia Minor. Again, that's telling us we live in this now and not yet kingdom of Christ. In a very real and definite sense, the kingdom of Jesus Christ has broken into this world and the church today, the gathered saints, are a visible representation of that. Yes, the kingdom of Christ is here now, but it's also not yet fully consummated. It's not yet fully here in complete totality. Because we live with a, a degree of tension in this world between a Christian worldview and a secular worldview. There's the people who live for God's kingdom with God's worldview on the world and there's also the world that has its own secular worldview. And we see that through multiple layers of interactions, whether it's euthanasia, whether it's abortion, whether it's same-sex marriage or gender identity, there's a whole range of views here where there's clashes between a Christian worldview and a secular worldview. It's a kingdom that's now, but it's not yet. And we aren't taken from this arena of this battlefield. that we, 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 We're not sort of lifted out of it so we don't experience its tensions. Now, some people might think, well, we shouldn't have any troubles or any challenges as believers. Can't we just pray that God will take all that away from us? That's not the way God works. God leaves us in this battle. God actually puts us in this battle so that we will know him in a greater way and also experience his overcoming power working through us in life. So we're not immune to it. We actually are part of it, a very real part of it. But the underlying cause of this battle is the rage of Satan who's working overtime to inflict pain upon God and all those who follow him, to destroy our souls. That's all he wants to do, destroy us. Okay, how does Satan carry out this warfare? How does Satan carry out this rage against us? What are his tactics? What does he do to try and inflict this uh, challenge upon us? Well, Satan's prime weapon or tactic is deception and lies. Deception and lies. Have a look in verse 9. We see there, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. Look next. The deceiver of the whole world. Thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. He's a deceiver. He deceives. He lies. His warfare is not carried out by sort of blatantly in an evil way standing in front of us and then that's how we can know. Because if he was so blatantly evil and standing right in front of us, well, that's Satan, I'm not going to go near that. He doesn't do that. He deceives us. He causes deception and brings lies into our hearts and our minds. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, We are told that he's the God of this world who has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He works through deception. He works through lies. He works to blind us. He doesn't sort of jump out in front of us and make himself visibly known to us. That would never work. We'd recognise him straight away. Satan deceives us by blinding our minds to the truth of who God is and what God offers us as our creator. Here's some possible deceptions that he might whisper into your heart or into your mind. If you're single, he might say this. God's holding out on you. Marriage is the best thing for you. You won't be complete until you're married. And God hasn't given you a marriage partner. Just go out and find the next best thing. 
Doesn't matter whether she, whether she or he is a Christian or maybe a nominal faith. Don't worry about that. You just need to get married. That's all important because when you're married, then your life will be complete. Satan deceives us. Or he might say this, because if we are married, he might say, you deserve better than this. If you hooked up with that other woman over there or that other guy over there, then you'd really have somebody who respected you. That's what you deserve. You deserve that other person, the one you've got. That's not the one for you. Satan deceives us. Or maybe you're in the middle of some struggles and Satan may say this, God really doesn't want you. You're a nobody. The rubbish that you've been up to in your life, it has piled up a mile high of guilt. God would never want you. God will never accept you until you can clean, maybe just clean your life up a bit first and then come to God and just see maybe God might take you then. That's another lie that Satan may whisper into our hearts. Or it could be the hard seasons of life. Satan may say this, it doesn't have to be this hard. You don't need to commit to so much following what Jesus says. He doesn't really expect you to live in holiness like that. He doesn't really expect you to follow it all the way through. Just just back off a little bit and relax. God's okay with that. He'll just sort of, you know, turn a blind eye to it. You know, he's a God of grace and love and he's not really worried about that holiness stuff. Satan deceives us. He's constantly whispering lies to our, into our minds. You need a better career. You need more power in your life. You need a bigger and better home. That's what you need. You need better sex. If you can find those things, then you'll find happiness. Then you'll find what life's all about. That's what you need in your life. Satan generally is that quiet, deceptive voice, just perhaps dropping those thoughts into our mind. It's in the background just drawing us towards evil disguised in things that aren't necessarily bad or wrong in themselves. It's not wrong, as it were, to move into a bigger and better home. That's not wrong in the slightest. But if we are motivated to do that, to move into a bigger and better home so that we can impress others by our wealth or by our status symbol of this big flashy home or a big flashy car or a big flashy whatever, well, the motivation's probably pride and Satan's just working on the pride of our hearts. So the actual thought of doing a bigger and better home is not wrong, but if it's motivated by pride, well, then Satan's gaining a foothold in our life as we fall to that pride. Let's not underestimate Satan's ability here. Because John's communicating to us something very real about him in this warfare. What John describes him there is a great red dragon with seven, he- seven heads and ten horns covered in diadems. He's trying to tell us something there. He's using again this apocalyptic literature to actually heighten our sensitivity to what's taking place. He's not just saying, hey, he's this evil force. He's giving us some sort of description of this being here. John's describing for us... Uh, a, a, a being who's more powerful and cunning than we could ever imagine. We're no match for him. 
He's describing a brute of supernatural powers and intelligence who can easily deceive the greatest of people. Think about King David, a man after God's own heart. The Bible says he's like he's following after God. He goes up one day to the balcony of his palace, looks out upon that and sees a beautiful woman bathing over there and says, I want her for sex. He goes and does that and then discovers she's married and says, okay, I better kill the husband. Satan deceives somebody who's following after God's own heart. We are no match for him in our own strength. And we can so easily fall for the lies that Satan gives to us. Remember hearing of Ravi Zacharias, that, that terrible incident that took place over the last 15 years or so. I remember reading some stuff here about telling some of his victims before he carried out some of these uh, sexual sins against them. He says this, look, God's servants, they deserve these little rewards, re- rewards for all their hard work in serving God. Justifying himself in carrying out those sinful deeds and actions. And we can easily let that happen in our lives. Easily let that happen. Satan's designs here are to inflict hurt upon God and hurt upon our souls, to destroy our souls. Uh, um, John in his gospel account says that Satan comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. There's nothing good about any of those things that Satan comes to do. That's what he seeks to do. He has one evil desire in mind, and that is to drag us, each and every one of us, into hell. Into hell. Satan hates the church with a violent rage, a violent rage. And he's further enraged when he actually sees the church begin to rise up in the strength and the power of the gospel, all the Christ has done, actually begin to try and take some ground back off him. He's enraged by that when the church rises up. That just even makes him more filthy with us. Or you may step up as an individual and increase your commitment to want to know Christ in a deeper way, perhaps even to serve in the church or somewhere else uh, for the cause of the gospel, and you step up to do that, and all of a sudden you feel like, I'm getting opposition, I'm getting pushback against, after I've, I've tried to make this massive step going forward. Satan hates that. He'll push back against that in a million different ways. Here's what I'm tempted with often myself. Just sit back and take it easy, Todd. Sit back and take... Look, you're in your 50s now. You're in the sort of latter half of your life, the latter stages of your life. That's when your things are meant to just slow down a little bit. That's when things are meant to sort of maybe just really take it easy, take your foot off the pedal. Just go into cruise mode. Just go into cruise mode. No way. Absolutely no way. We want to see the kingdom of Christ grow. I'm not going to take my foot off the pedal. I've got one life to live. I'm not going to listen to you, Satan. There's warfare going on in our lives. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the evil in their heavenly places. Paul gets it. We're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We are in warfare with a satanic being and his demonic host. And it's through deception and it's through lies. And it's real. Way more real than you could ever imagine. How are you feeling? Hopeless? 
I have this raging, satanic, demonic being and all of his hosts, they're opposing me. Is there any hope for me in this? Is there any way out? Is there any way forward? Can, what can I do? How do I engage in this battle? I love the Bible. Absolutely there's hope. Hope that is way beyond anything Satan could throw at us. Have a look here in verses 10 and 11. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, 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 now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Look at verse 11 really carefully. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. If you read through Revelation 12, you'll find that becomes the centrepiece of this chapter. That is the centrepiece right there. The whole chapter tells us what we are up against, and these two verses tells us what's been done about it. The whole chapter tells us what we're up against, but these two verses tell us what's been done about it. Prior to Jesus coming to the cross, what is Satan doing? He's accusing us day and night. He's accusing us day and night of all of our guilt before God. He's relentlessly, as it were, vomiting out all this accusation before God of what his people have done. Day and night. Never gives up. Delights in it. Just showing again the failures of all his people. But then at Calvary, God does something planned from all of eternity all of eternity, God makes a decisive blow at sin once and for all. In one glorious life and death, Jesus defeats sin and death for all time. In, 33, in the space of 33 years of life, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, Satan has been defeated and defanged. His power, as it were, ripped away from him. The enemy of God and his creation has been crushed. The serpent, the Satan, may have bruised the heel of Christ in the death of Christ, but Jesus has finally crushed what Satan has done or been able to do. Look how John says it there in verse 11. They have conquered him. We're talking about Satan here. They have conquered Satan. This is the saints. By the blood of the lamb. And John's already introduced to us the lamb. The land that was slain before the foundation of the world, right back in Revelation chapter 5. Look at that word there, conquered, for all of you who know your grammar. Is that past tense, present tense? Past tense. Finished. It's a victory already been achieved. Not something we have to achieve, it's a victory already been achieved. It's the finished, it's the completed work of Christ. Not something we're waiting for, it's done, it's completed. We don't have to defeat Satan because we cannot defeat Satan ourselves. We will never defeat Satan ourselves. Satan has been defeated for us on our behalf. So when Satan tempts us to guilt and despair that we're not good enough, that God will never want you, because you've got a record a mile high, here's the response that you tell Satan. I'm not saying it a verbal thing, but in your mind, here's what you're going to say when he says you're not good enough. You're going to say this, uh, yeah, you're right, I'm not good enough. 
Uh, Satan, I'll never be good enough in myself. I'll never be good enough. I don't have to be good enough, as it were, Satan, to defeat you because Jesus has been good enough in my place. He has conquered you and I have his righteousness as part of my life. So you are defeated in my life as well. So you might take me down with some small skirmishes and small battles, but ultimately you are defeated in my life. I'll never be good enough, Satan. And I'm okay with that because Jesus has been good enough for me. Because we engage with Satan from a position of victory already. It's been completed. It's done. The decisive battle has been won by Jesus. And we continually preach that truth to our hearts. It's not about me. It's not about what I've done. But it's about what he is and what he's done for me. The other part there in, in, in conquering Satan is 11, the second half of verse 11, and by the word of their testimony. Well, what does that mean? What is the word of their testimony? Well, this testimony isn't exactly our personal story, although it may include our personal story. This testimony actually is the witness of the gospel of truth, which is our life now that we adhere to. So how do we conquer Satan trying to crush our souls through any of these sort of these vile, deceptive lies that he keeps whispering into our heart and our mind? Well, we testify to the gospel of truth that is our life now. So when Satan maybe whispers that, this lie that you know, that woman or man is, is, um, is this, that other woman or man is the, is the better one for you and your marriage over there, you need to go for that other person over there. That's the one you need to complete your life. We say no. We say no way. Why do we say no way? I've made a covenant before God in marriage. And he'll give me all the grace that I need to be able to love and care for my spouse, no matter what they might be going through or how they may be treating me this time. And I'll do that till death do us part. That's testifying to the gospel truth. That's what's there to help us to conquer what Satan has given, done to, accusations he gives towards us. No way. So how do we fight Satan? We fight Satan by digging into God's word and putting into practice through the Spirit's power in our life. That's the weapon that we have. Uh, Again, if we go back to Ephesians 6, there's a brilliant chapter there in spiritual warfare. Paul tells us of one offensive weapon that we have in all that armour, as it were, to take on Satan. Have a look in verse 17. It says this, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We dig deeply into God's word, And we have that fortify our minds because it's here that God chooses to strengthen our minds to equip us for the attacks that Satan will come, to expose the lies that he says to us. This is where we conquer Satan and his evil deceptions. As we build solid, deep gospel convictions, thinking clearly and carefully how we testify to the gospel of truth, how it defeats Satan's lies. He brings, it's a bit like this actually, I thought of this the other day, uh, as we build these solid, deep gospel uh, convictions in our truth, in, uh, of truth in Jesus, in our lives, it's like building a virus detector in your computer. It updates every day on the new viruses, so it's picking up what are, the, what are the new lies in the system. Satan then sends another lie to infect us, or like a virus coming to a computer. But the Word of God acts like an antivirus. It detects that untruth, and then it exposes it. And it exposes it as if for what it really is. And that is a lie. So it's God's word that exposes uh, Satan's deceptions and he lies for us. Now here's the really powerful thing. 
about God's word with the spirit working in it. In desperately hard places where it seems like Satan has got the upper hand and I feel like I've been defeated on every corner, we can still rest assured in the finished work of Christ. Even if Satan is enabled to take my life, that's not the end. Even if Satan puts me in a terribly hard place, that's not the end. Jesus has conquered for me. This is a beautiful thing I saw just a few weeks ago. It was a letter written by a young Chinese Christian man in jail for following Jesus. only written over the last few months. So I would say a very strong attack with satanic influence upon this young man while he's in jail. You can imagine, how would you feel being in jail? You'd feel like crushed, defeated. Here's a letter that he wrote to his parents uh, from that jail to his mother and father. It says this. Mum and Dad... Be strong, be joyful, and live each day well. These days my heart is filled with surprising peace. What have I lost in the past two years or so? I have temporarily lost time with my family, but I have not lost the love of my family. I have temporarily lost my freedom, but I have not lost my freedom of thought. I have temporarily lost Sunday worship, but I have not lost my faith. Although I am imprisoned, there's a bigger prison outside these walls. I find this saying very true. He who has faith can lose nothing. He can turn hell into heaven. He can sleep peacefully in the midst of the storm. He can sing gratefully in prison. He can become a dancer even while in chains. And he who has no faith can have nothing. For him, he will turn even heaven into hell. We are truly free and can lose nothing compared to those who have been enslaved all their lives by the fear of death. Mum and dad, you are losing me. Just like Abraham lost Isaac, Jacob lost Joseph and Benjamin, and the father in the parable lost the prodigal son. But just as each of these lost sons were found again, so will you also find me. If it is more blessed to give than to receive, it can also be said that it is more blessed to lose than to gain. For it is only by losing that we can gain more beauty. I believe that when we meet again, we will be more beautiful and more mature. May you be strong and joyful, your loving son, Bojai Pei. What a glorious letter to receive as parents from someone who's suffering in a prison over these last few months. What is that? That's the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the cross actually speaking, the victory that he's achieved for us, that Satan is defeated. That's the truth we need to arm ourselves with when Satan comes to again harass us and to declare guilt or shame into our lives. You've been defeated, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today that we can come and uh, step through Revelation 12 just to see, Lord, what a vicious, wicked enemy that has been put against us, hates us with a rage, deceives us every single time whispers lies into our hearts 
God, I pray again today you'll help us to come back to the cross and see the glorious victory that Jesus has given to us. That we don't stand before Satan as defeated. We stand before Satan as conquerors through what Christ has done for us and on our behalf. Lord, even again today, if he's whispering lies into our mind even right now, we ask, Lord, please fortify our minds with the truth that Jesus Christ is our conqueror and we join in with that conquering that he's given to us. For the lies he may whisper into our minds this afternoon, tonight, in the dead of night, when he comes back to tempt us with guilt and shame again, may we come back to the cross, the blood of the Lamb has conquered for us. Help us to be aware of his schemes, Lord, and now with confidence know that he can do nothing to us eternally. Let that confidence help us to grow in the likeness of Christ, we pray. Father, I ask that and I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.